Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Morning. Welcome to Kesset. If you are new today, you picked an interesting service to attend. Uh, my name is Danny. I'm going to be sharing with you. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, today, we are about halfway through with our Untethered series, and uh, the series has caused lots of, lots of conversation, lots of discussion, uh, some tension, and also some vulnerable kind of ideas have been shared, not just from here, but amongst the, the congregation. And I just want to start by just sort of checking in with you and letting you know how normal that is. How uh, it, we said we'd be a, a community that didn't all agree, and uh, that is exactly what we are. Because, because the deeper we got into this thing, the more people were like, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Is this what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? And, and I'm, I'm refereeing some of these, and also some of these, I'm just letting them go. I'm like, oh, good question. Oh, good question. And it's, it's just been this beautiful thing. And what I want to do, I guess, is start by just normalizing that, that We've decided to, to untether, to, to, to kind of to unlock from that thing that makes us feel safe and comfortable and to evaluate it. And just doing that for many people was just, is almost too much. Uh, they're here to feel safe. They're here to feel secure. Uh, they're not really, they're, it's, it's a struggle to, to take 10 feet back and sort of look at the thing that, uh, that has shored up, I know, my life as a church kid and many other people in this room. And so I just want to say how proud I am of everyone in this room that's been willing to walk that out and to, uh, to experience uh, what it really looks like to explore, to explore our faith, to explore these things that, that we accept and uh, to allow them to connect in a deeper way than they did before. So I'm, I'm just honored and I'm excited to be here today. We are going to untether prayer. And uh, let me just say so far, I have not talked... Uh, <laughs> Well, I've not talked uh, about a more polarizing subject I, I, than this one. Um, the last service, uh, I think maybe half the people left and said, I don't really know what that just was, and uh, I'm kind of bothered. And the other half of the people left and said, thank God, uh, I'm so glad that that's finally been cleared up. And so uh, I don't know which side of the camp you're going to land on. I'm just giving you a heads up. Apparently, there are some camps. And I am incredibly comfortable standing in that tension. And I am incredibly comfortable having discussions because that's why we're here. And so uh, I love that you're here. Thank you for being here. And uh, thank you for, uh, for not running away as we talk about the subject today. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am, I am so blown away by how alive uh, I feel our church is, how people are, are, are grabbing hold of their faith and their belief, how they're challenging and stretching and asking questions. I am so excited to be in, in a community, God, that's so willing to engage with you, uh, even in the fringes. Thank you for every heart in this room. Thank you for their story, for the thing that brought them here today. We pray for your Holy Spirit's guidance as we continue to dive into what it means to live fully reliant on you, untethered. In Jesus' name, amen.
At the most basic level, I think, prayer is the moment when I deliberately open up and say to God, what have you got to give me? Here I am, what have you got to give me? I'm trying to give you this time, this attention, not very well, but you know, trying to give you that space to come in. I'm opening the door, propping it open for half an hour or so. So please come in and do what you want to do. Now, I can then pile a few other things on top of that. I can say, and while you're here, <laughs> to God, um, you know I'm worried about X, Y, and Z. And while you're here, I'd better acknowledge, you know, I got that really badly wrong with so-and-so a week ago. And while you're here, thanks for that meeting, thanks for that letter. And while you're, oh, never mind, I'll just, you know. <laughs> and we, we break this down into um, prayers of petition, you know, praying for people, prayers of penitence, saying sorry, prayers of thanksgiving. But actually, for a lot of people, it's much more informal and... I think just that sense, well, here's the time when I ask him in. And there's a lot in the Bible and in the tradition which simply says, <laughs> when you ask him in, he can't say no. One writer in the Middle Ages says it's, it's almost like a vacuum being filled. You, know, you mm. make the space and he's there before you, before you know it. Can't stop himself. God so wants to be in our lives, that if we give him the least excuse, he'll be there. We may not even have the words that said that, but he'll turn up. It's, it's again, in the gospel story, that the woman who touches the edge of Jesus' cloak because she can't quite bear to face him, and yet she gets the full treatment. <laughs> He's there. Ah, oh, somebody's touching my cloak. <laughs> there he is. Where, where is God? And why does he want to be there? I suppose because God's whole life is this loving intelligence, this, this mind burning with love, which is focused on what's, what's made, what's come from him, from his will and his generosity. And he never abandons that. And so wherever there's space for him to be that little bit more present in it, he'll take the chance because because he likes being God. <laughs> he, loves, he loves being love and intelligence, and he wants to see more of it in the, in the world. I think there's a really good reason that prayer is uh, such a polarizing topic, and I think it's because all of us have some sort of intimate experience with it, even people that are atheists uh, have kind of a view based on people that, that they know or people they grew up with and the way that prayer was kind of used as a tool or a thing to be like, oh, you're an atheist, don't worry, I'll pray for you. Like I'm going to shoot an arrow of spirituality and, and acceptance you know, from, from our church into your heart and, and you won't, there'll, there'll be no choice. You'll just end up being in our, in our lives. I believe that actually more people have exited the church over the issue of prayer than any other, specifically the issue of unanswered prayer. More people have come to church during these deep and dark times when they wanted to, to, to implore God to help them, to see them, to meet them, and, and from their perspective, God didn't, and so they're like, why, why are we doing this? Why, why does this exist in our lives? And then there's other people 
And prayer has been a central part of their faith, if not the, the highest part of their faith. And they have seen uh, miracles. They have seen uh, doors open. They have seen incredible things happen uh, from their perspective because of prayer. And so today as I talk about prayer, uh, there's, there's a, maybe a lot of me in this. And I, I guess maybe that's important to preface that, that I uh, have been doing this full-time for coming up. Uh, next month will be 20 years, full-time. And, uh, and so I have had all of those experience around prayer. I have seen beautiful things happen, powerful things happen. And I have also hoped for powerful things happen. And from my perspective, seen nothing happen. I've also been put in positions because of my role as if my uh, prayers are more potent or more powerful because I'm a pastor. So I need to be in the room because I will, uh, I will power up your prayers and therefore, God, who wouldn't have paid attention ahead of time, now will pay attention because Pastor Danny's here. And that is a hard place to be in, especially when whatever we're praying for fails or falls apart, because then I, my power-ups are also now doubly responsible. This is, a, this is a hard talk, because there's all those people in all those situations in the room. Let me start off with what the church teaches. The church teaches that the most basic definition of prayer is basically talking to God. You'll see a lot of that around here. You'll see that, especially when we do the salvation stuff. It'll, I'll ask people just to introduce themselves to God, to say, God, it's me. Uh, there is no magic word or no magic formula that, that saves a person. It's not even actually the, the, the verbal uh, spoken statement. It's the heart opening up to the power of God and who he is and, and, a, and, a, and an asking of his power to come in and overwhelm and overcome. But the church teaches that prayer can be all kinds of things. It can be audible or silent, private or public, formal or informal. Prayer is described in the Bible as seeking God's favor, pouring out one's soul to the Lord. It's described as crying out to heaven or drawing near to God or, as commonly heard of and experienced, kneeling before the Father. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, "'Do not be anxious about anything.'" But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're just going to keep this verse uh, right here. Let's go back to verse 6, if we could. Uh, this verse is an interesting verse, because people have used this verse to basically mean that uh, you need to go before God, and he will guard you from bad things happening in your life, and that's actually not at all what the verse says. The verse says to come before God, especially when you're anxious about anything, so there is no big or small thing that you can pray for. You can pray for anything and everything, and you should, and in every situation. It's not just uh, holy things that you're supposed to pray for. You can pray for all situations in all emotional states, and any topic whatsoever can be laid before God. But you do this by laying a petition with thanksgiving and presenting your request. So you're asking God to, 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 to listen to you, of course, around what it is that you're wanting, around what it is that you're desiring, about what it is that you're hoping. And then Paul goes on in verse 7 to say, and what the response is guaranteed to be is a peace. Notice he doesn't say God will, he's not a spiritual Santa Claus. He doesn't go, oh, that's what you want. That's what you get. What he does is answer your prayers with peace, which transcends even your own understanding. 
and it guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And a lot of times the peace transcends your understanding because many, many times the prayers that, you, that, you're, that you're sending out to God don't get answered how you hoped. And yet if you're truly present with the, in the emotional state, spiritual state you're supposed to be with prayer, then you have a peace even about that. That's very different than treating God like a spiritual vending machine and choosing Oreos over Starburst this Sunday. You present your requests. You ask for your life to be a reflection of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are if we're Christians. Those of you in the room who are still exploring all this spirituality stuff, we believe that, uh, that, there's, a, that there's something that God wants in all of our lives and the best part of God that the best part of that is to be connected with God in our stories. And so we desire things. And some of those things are clearly from the Holy Spirit. And some of those things are from Danny. But I get to pray about them both because I'm not so good at deciphering the difference. And the Holy Spirit presents and moves and God answers. We've said this before. God always answers your prayers. Sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes it's a maybe. Sometimes it's a wait. Sometimes it's a no. He does answer. And he is present but it's when we are in this place that our hearts are guarded and our minds are protected and we get to live in this beautiful peace that prayer brings in our life. Mark 11 says God's house, this place, is to be a house of prayer. Jude 1 says that God's people are to be a people of prayer. Dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. Prayer covers, prayer smothers, prayer uh, helps shoulder, prayer encourages, prayer brings all kinds of beautiful things into perspective, and prayer gives you eyes to see things you'd never see before, a heart to love things you'd never loved before. It's a beautiful piece of the Christian tradition, and it's a beautiful part of what it means to live out this aspect of spirituality. So here's my question why doesn't it work all the time? At least not in the way people of faith often like to sell it as or claim that it does. Let's be honest. These are always faithful first words. When someone we know or love or read about is gravely ill, we default to asking people to pray for their healing. More specifically, we ask others to ask God to heal them. We enlist people to take our cause for the wayward child, the struggling marriage, for the uh, brokenhearted. I've asked for church prayers thousands upon thousands of times over the past two decades in countless moments. I have privately and desperately petitioned God to bring miraculous cures, heal relationships, to move in a particular moment and a particular person. And he has, sometimes, at least how I want him to. And I have a pretty good idea of what I want. I'm pretty articulate and I'm fairly clear. And so I let God know exactly what it is I'm thinking. And some of the times it works and some of the times it doesn't. And that just messes with my prayer, prayer theology. Because he should do what I want. <laughs> right? I mean, let's be honest. Let's sit in our human prayerful selves. He loves me. I'm his child. And I don't pray for silly things, right? I'm now 41 years old, and I, I, I have a, a fairly moderate and responsible prayer life. I think the things I pray for make sense. Peace, right? People not to die of, ter of terrible, destructive illness. Uh, families to be restored. 
husbands and wives' eyes to be open to the beauty of marriage and what it's supposed to reflect. I've got some good prayers out there. And yet people still get divorced. Children still don't come home. And people die. And so I knew when this talk was going to happen, it was going to get personal for me. I didn't know it would get quite this personal, but I knew it was going to get personal. Because I pray a lot. And I'm called into a lot of rooms to pray. And yet lots of times it doesn't go how I want. And I'm bothered by it. So I want to make a big controversial statement and then I want to unpack it a little bit. <laughs> it's an, I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to make a big controversial statement and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. I'm not sure prayer actually works to save sick people from death or cause change in the hearts of those we are praying for. I'm not sure that's its purpose at all. And actually that might not be a good thing if it did. Consider this, and I'll put it on the screen because I want to be as clear as I can. To contend that God heals when we pray for those who are terribly sick or transforms lives because of my prayer life is to imagine a creator who needs to be convinced. It is to paint an image of a God who, though already fully aware of the gravity of the situation and the worry of the loved ones and the pain that this person is going through, refuses to move until I get a certain number of people to pray with me in order to break through whatever the median average of prayer is so that he can pay attention to this person that I have deemed important and valuable in my life. Prayer appeals in this way become spiritual GoFundMe campaigns. <laughs> Should we just wrap this message up right now, shouldn't we? <laughs> they do. They become spiritual GoFundMe campaigns. And we've got this idea that if we get 1,000 people praying, God's going to be walking by the world, walking by the universe, and be like, oh, whoa, is that 1,000 people praying? Clearly, I didn't know that that child was hurting. Clearly, I need to heal that person because this large group of people is calling out to me for help. We're told that if just enough people pray, healing will happen, as if there's a magical number, or as I said earlier, a critical mass that will move the Almighty in our favor. In essence, most of us are taught that most of us don't really pray at all. We rehearse our anxieties out loud. We just, we just spew everything that's aching within us. And then we hold God accountable for how well he handles all those things. There are more people outside the church than inside the church that have experienced that exact thing. And people haven't sat with them with sensitivity and walked through and untethered some of this. And so they were told that I know that I know. I can't tell you how many people have told me that they left God dozens of years ago because their father was sick, their child was sick, their, their mom was sick, their brother was sick, and someone in a church they were attending told them, if they do this, this, and this, God will heal them, he told them. And they did this, this, and this, and that person still died. This is why this is so personal to me. This is why this is so important for us as a church body getting ready to fill our, our, our room with all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds because if we don't understand that people listen to us and that people trust us, then we can damage people by making promises to them that the Bible doesn't make. That's why this is so special. 
That's why this is so hard. The problem with these negotiating style prayers is that we have to make sense of the results. In regard to when a healing actually does happen or someone does get better, if the person lives, we somehow believe we have engineered their survival and need to process why our prayers were enough, but the person's in the hospital room next to ours wasn't. I heard the story of a man who was raised in a Christian home, and uh, in his early 20s, I believe, he went to his, his parents, who his dad was a pastor, his mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom and just devout follower of Jesus, and he said, Mom and Dad, I've lost my faith. I'm an atheist. And his mom said, No, you will see the miracle of God in your life, and I will pray for it every day. I will pray for it. And so he went out on his journey, and he was spiritually seeking, like a lot of you in this room right now. He didn't know what he bought into. He didn't know. He just knew that this whole system over here just didn't make any sense, and the people it produced weren't people he thought he wanted to do life with. And so he went out, and he explored all kinds of religions and all kinds of spirituality, but this Jesus person just kept coming back to the center of his thinking. And so eventually he said he's standing on an ocean front, and all of a sudden... He says that that the waves came in and he felt like he heard the voice of Jesus and all of a sudden he was an atheist and then he was a believer. And he had no answers for this beautiful thing, none whatsoever, except in the back of his mind, his mama's prayer. And you would think this would be a beautiful thing for a critical thinking person like this, someone who searched 10, 15, 20 different religions, comes back to Jesus, and yet it's once again prayer that's difficult for him to understand. Because do you know what he said when, he, when someone told him, oh, that must be because of your mom's prayers? He said, so my, my soul is saved sitting on this beach because of my faithful mother and her prayers. What about the faithful mother in Africa who's praying for her daughter to return who was sold into sex slavery at 11 years old? These are real things to contemplate. This is why the verse is so important that I read earlier. A peace beyond understanding is what God promises. He doesn't promise to tick all your boxes. He doesn't promise to meet every single need. And we have sold that as Christians. We have sold that. Hey, if you're a Christian, man, you'll never be sick. If you're a Christian, you'll be, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, that movement was so powerful that when the gospel moved into Africa, that idea of prosperity and be like us and the reason that we are successful as missionaries and Christians walking into your country, this was just told by, to me by someone who attends here that that movement happened and the people of the African nation saw the gospel and saw the people in suits and prosperity that even today in 105 degree weather, the African pastors are out there wearing suits to try to show people how God has blessed them more than anyone else. They should be Christians because then they can dress like this and walk like this and talk like this. What do you do then when they get involved and they give everything and they serve everywhere and their child still gets taken or stricken? What do we do in this tension? My answer is quite simply, we untether. See, you think it's easier that people are healed, but it's not because when healing doesn't come, Then we second guess whether we prayed hard enough or we lamented hard enough or did we enlist enough prayer warriors to effectively move God. We try to figure out why our petitions failed. Either way, it's not a healthy way to live and eventually people stop praying altogether as they put their genie God back inside the bottle he came from. 
The only way that you're going to be able, I believe, to have an active, balanced, whole prayer life is to untether from the religious part of it and is to untether from the part that, that makes it just another conversation and somehow learns to wrestle with the wholeness of both. Somehow is willing to sit in this perspective that God wants to meet needs, but God is the definer of those needs and knows better than you and I. That God is bigger than I am, he's more purpose than I am, that he loves me more than I love myself, which says a lot. Don't act like it doesn't say a lot about you either. You all giggled as if that was only for me. We as God's people need to stop thinking that we can negotiate God into something we desire by praying more dependently or perfectly. I remember one time uh, a young man in my youth group came to Christ, and like a month later we were doing this sort of prayer circle, and, uh, and uh, it, we, no one thought he would pray because it's pretty nerve-wracking to pray out loud. I know a lot of Christians who've been Christians a long time have never prayed out loud, 20, 25 years, never did it at least nowhere outside of like maybe with a spouse or a child. And so no one expected him to pray, and he starts off real quiet, kind of coughs, and then he just said, God, it's me. I've sold that line for the last 17 years of ministry. Every time we do salvation prayers, we start off with, hey, God, it's me. Because it's supposed to be a conversation that's authentic and real and coming from where you are. When we try to pretend it's a performance or it's something that you can be educated in or something you can practice to impress other people, then suddenly when we're in that mode, it's us keeping all the power. God is now my servant, and the function of prayer is to use mechanisms to get God to do what I want. When in reality, prayer is standing in a relationship of initiated dependency. Initiated dependency. The Bible is pretty clear that God leaves the 99 to go after the one. Have you ever thought that maybe that's the best prayer posture you can take in your whole life is to leave the 99 and go off to the one? I think Jesus said something about that, like prayer closet, pray to yourself, pray by yourself, go before God when it's just you and him and you can just say, God, it's me. But I think people are more drawn to the 99 prayer movements because they're safer. And I really think they feel like they can negotiate God into getting something done. They're basically marketing prayer to him. And our churches have taught it. I've taught it. And I'm sorry for that. Because it's not right. God listens to my mom prayers the same he listens to your mom prayers, the same he listens to the African mom prayers. And no matter how eloquent or underscored or videoed I can be, I don't think God goes, whoa, Danny, good one. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Prayer answered. I just don't think it works that way. And yet for many of us, I think we approach it that way. Prayer is a standing relationship, uh, standing in a relationship of initiated dependency. Think about Elijah. Elijah was an awesome prayer warrior. Uh, my one of my favorite prayer stories in the Bible is Elijah's a prophet of God. There's this other sect of non-believers that have risen up who worship another god called Baal, Baal. And Elijah says, great, let's have a prayer off. 
right? And they go up on the mountain in front of everybody, and there's, t- there's just, you know, there's a couple dozen of these prophets, and then there's Elijah. And so they take a calf, and they, they kill it, and they put stones, and they put wood, and then Elijah does the same thing. And, and, and then they say, okay, we're going to pray that God, that our God brings fire down from heaven. And so they do, and they dance, and they chant. And Elijah gets fairly arrogant as this goes on and makes all kinds of cutting remarks about their God. But I will say, he doesn't just talk without showing up, because he does walk up to his fire pit. He just says, God, it's me. Let's do this. And fire falls from heaven. It's amazing. And the pit lights up and all the, the, the false prophets fall to the ground and all the people rush on them and realize God is real. And Elijah gets carried off like the team captain that he is. It doesn't say that, but I'm pretty sure that happened. <laughs> It says that, uh, I don't know, a week or so later, Elijah gets a letter. And I've always thought this was the most interesting thing. Elijah gets a letter. It just shows the humanness of all of us. He opens the letter, and it's the queen of the prophets that were killed by the people. And she's like, I am so angry with you, and I'm going to kill you. And Elijah says, oh, no. And he tells a servant to stay, and he runs off into the desert. That's what it says. He runs off so far into the desert that basically he's committing suicide because there's no way for him to get back. He's so weak by the time he gets out there with no food and water. Which, total side note, every time I say the story, I'm just going to remind people, I don't know why Elijah, with that beautiful prayer life, couldn't just figure out where the the queen's temple was and just call fire from heaven down on her house. (laughs) That'd be way easier, right? Just like, where do you live? Oh, the, the, okay, no problem. Boom, right? I mean, if you've got a prayer life, use it. But the humanness of Elijah, right? The, 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 the flipping back and forth between, between having this spiritual viewpoint and being a normal person obviously has, it, it uh, pours out in different ways. This is back to the same thing of Elijah's not telling everybody to have a strong prayer life. You should be able to call fire from heaven. He's not marketing a prayer school. He's, as a matter of fact, a week later, scared to death for his own life because a human queen threatened him, the man that just called fire from heaven. Because prayer is intimate and and connected, and it's not something you can sell to other people. So Elijah, afraid and broken, disappears into the desert, and it says that God shows up. Verse 3, chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Then he was afraid, Elijah, And he arose and ran from his house and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he took and behold, there was, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of hot water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And then it says a second time the angel came and touched him and said, hey, why don't you arise and eat? And then eventually it took him with the strength of that meal and that, and that, uh, that sleeping, right? It took him to a mountain that God then engaged with him in a beautifully powerful way that revived his soul and who he was. Someone else read this story recently and said, uh, this is speaking to the true spiritual power of a nap and a snack. (laughs) It's very important that you understand how valuable that is. Okay, you need to make sure that you understand God uses all kinds of things. Ultimately, authentic prayer is this. 
It's an utter trusting and letting go. Just like Elijah was willing to just fall asleep to eat, to fall asleep to eat. He was willing to just say, God, it's enough. I can't do this anymore. I don't know what you want. It's a seconding the motion and movements of God. That's what it always is, prayer. It's a seconding of the motioning and movements of God. As if you thought you were initiating the prayer when you come to finally realize God has always been the initiator of it. In other words, and I'll put this on the screen, prayer is participation in God's love, the activity that takes us out of ourselves and conforms us to the path of Christ. It is beautiful, it is needed, it is important. And like every other powerful things, powerful thing given to us as Christians, it is widely abused and widely manipulated to bring more glory to the person yielding it than the person it's for. That's the whole core of this message. Prayer is supposed to draw you into intimacy with God and with each other. And a lot of times prayer instead is used to shore up some imaginary reputation you think God needs protected. I don't know how many times people are going to continue to tell me, well, Danny, you need to get involved with that. You need to talk about that. I mean, people might think wrong and, that, you know, we've got to worry about God's protection. And I'm like, you think God worries about God's protection or God's uh, reputation you think God worries about God's protection like he's he feels like oh hold on a second these people are that article written might not might not reflect exactly who I am I think that God is very well connected to what he's doing and who he's doing it with and prayer is supposed to highlight this and highlight the fact that we get to be part of it Prayer is participation. That is what it is. It makes, us so much, it makes so much more sense to pray like this. Praying for people is a beautiful expression of care and solidarity. It's an effort to somehow stand beside someone in unthinkable trauma to let them know that we love them and feel their urgency. And in this way, prayer does surely work. For it lets people understand the depth of our concern for them, to allow them to feel a little less alone, to lift them emotionally, and physically as they face the senseless suffering of this life. And so we should pray and let people know we are praying for them, that we are pulling for them and thinking of them and standing in solidarity with them. So in this way, I believe prayer changes our hearts and it tethers us to one another and it increases hope in otherwise hopeless situations for it allows us to step into that peaceful space beyond our understanding of whatever God is doing and it allows us to pour that into other people's lives who oftentimes are overwhelmed with the circumstances that are so close in front of them. This is a powerful, powerful thing. And my hope is as a church that as people enter our doors, especially over the next 12 to 18 months, that we are willing to pray for them, not by claiming some magic potion from, uh, from the, the prayer shelf of our reputation and pouring it over their lives, but instead coming alongside them and standing in a peace beyond your understanding. And I'll tell you that one of the most beautiful things you can do is ask to pray for someone and, and, and open it up in true authenticity, true relationship to the point they feel safe enough to tell you their deepest, darkest hope, the thing they really want to be prayed for. And your face just goes, sounds like, okay. You don't go, what? 
You know, one of the biggest problems with prayer with people who start is they feel like the things they're going to ask for are silly and small. Because when we pray for them, we use these big words about God's purpose and vision and hope. And they're like, I, I just want to be able to give my kids lunch this week at school. This is how we're supposed to pray with people. This is the beauty of this gift that God has given us. It tethers us to them. And I really believe as important, if not more important, it tethers us to God. And it gives us his heart and his eyes and his purpose and his focus to meet the needs of the people in our lives. Half the time, the things we're praying for are things God's going to lay on our heart that we should go and do. We're like, man, I sure hope you have lunches for your kids this week. I'm going to pray for that. Oh, maybe I should provide the lunches for your kids this week. Maybe that's what prayer looks like. What would that look like inside of our community? What would that feel like? I still ask for people to pray, and I still pray every day. It seems like all day I'm asking God. I'm, I've been praying right now this whole talk. But I try to reorient my prayers. And so I just want to share with you what I'm walking through and where I'm at in my untethering and, and now retethering with prayer. I believe prayer works by unlocking our empathy for others. It gives us the ability to see how God sees them. I believe it binds us together in relationship. Because when you pray for somebody, there's, it's like a hug. It's, it's, it's intimate. It's connected. And a lot of times, you being safe enough for them to pray with is as big a step as any that you'll take in a mentoring or discipleship-like relationship. I also believe it is a beautiful expression of love for people who are suffering, for people who need to hear out loud that someone else sees what they're dealing with, that someone else recognizes what it is that in their story is causing so much pain. I also believe that it is a sacred act of kindness. It is a sacred act of kindness, and then I also believe it connects us personally to God in ways that cannot be quantified. It brings us into that place of suffering. It brings us into that place of, of, uh, of shouldering with a brother or a sister what it is they're, going, they're dealing with, what they have going on. And then also it allows us to live in a peace that God brings inside of our stories. I recently heard a, a story from a father that goes to our church, and he said that his teenage daughter and him were having difficulty because she was making some choices that he felt would eventually lead her to a lot of emotional damage. It caused quite a tension in their relationship for about three or four months until finally the thing that he had been warning her about happened. The, the damage, if you will, occurred. And the mom came home and said, this thing that we've been talking about has happened and this damage has happened. And she's so scared to talk to you. And he said, I... I just want to be there for her. I just want to be there for her. And so he was out in the garage, and so she came home. He said that she opened the garage door, and she turned. And as they saw each other, they both rushed toward each other, and they just held each other. And then he said these words. He says, I didn't save her when the danger eventually came, and she was hurt. But as soon as she saw me, she reached for me, and I reached for her, and we just shared that space together. Together and sad, sad and together. Nothing fixed, but everything was better. I think this space that father and daughter shared is what prayer is supposed to do. 
is supposed to provide a peace and a comfort and a connection and a togetherness. And no, not everything gets fixed. And I think we should be honest about that with people. But I also think we should be honest that even if stuff doesn't get fixed, we'll still venture with them. We'll still be in community with them. We'll still hold them. We'll still love them. We'll still consider them friend and family. And we will be there with them until God makes all of it clear. And that's the only thing I know to do with all these prayers that I know are in this room. The answered and unanswered one is sit in both my humanness like Elijah of wanting to run away or rage or be frustrated or confused and sit in the spiritual side of me that says, man, I'm so glad I serve a God who can handle me being so willing to run away, rage and confused. For if I can sit in both those places, then I can hold others and I can be held by God. Together and sad, sad and together, Even if nothing's fixed, everything can be better. What a special place we get to hold with each other. What a special place prayer holds in all of our lives. How awesome is it that we are going to get to sit with people while they pray for sandwiches? How awesome is it that we're going to sit with people while they pray for restored marriages? How awesome is it that we are going to get to see God answer prayers in ways we never expected. How amazing is it that we get to be in the place even when he clearly says no, that we are loved by him and we are loved by others anyways. I'm honored to be in a church that can discuss this. A lot of people said it couldn't be done. I guess we'll see next Sunday depending on how many people show back up. But I truly believe unless we can take a step back, even from the things that we've held sacred, then there's no room for people to come in and ask hard questions that we ourselves aren't willing to answer. So I want to give you a few moments to reflect, to ask the Holy Spirit what has connected with you today, what has, what has impacted you today. I want to bless you with a song that I've been listening to all week long in preparation for this talk. The chorus of the song says, I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You are bigger than I thought you were. You are bigger than I thought. So I stop all negotiations with the God of all creation because you are bigger than I thought you were. You are bigger than I thought. Lord, we sit in this place and we ask, God, for you to meet us. We thank you for this gift of prayer and we ask that you would just teach us, Lord, how it applies to our lives and those around us. I thank you so much that you laid this on my heart and I'm honored, God, to be in a church that can wrestle with such difficult stuff. I thank you, God, that even when I struggle, even when I doubt, even when I'm filled with fear, you are bigger than I thought you were. You're so lovely, Lord. You're so worthy of our songs and our sermons. We are so blessed to sit in your presence 
and receive from you now. In Jesus' name, amen.